0: Vox Quick Hits. What you're about to hear is just a preview of a much longer and deeper conversation. And trust me, you're going to want to hear the rest of it. You can find the full episode at Vox Conversations, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Vox Conversations. On today's show, once again, back by popular demand, Vox's Sean Illing, who's going to be talking about the little-known history of psychedelics and spirituality in the Western world with Brian Murarescu, author of The Immortality Key. They're going to be answering some questions that my mom is maybe not going to be thrilled about. Did psychedelic drugs play an important role in the rise and spread of Christianity, and could they save the church today? Here's Sean Illen.
1: Hey, Brian, thanks so much for being here today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So tell me, Brian, was Christianity founded on a psychedelic sacrament?
2: Hmm, That's the million-dollar question I spent 12 years of my life trying to find out uh, and was grilled by my friend Dr. Charlie Stang at Harvard University uh, last week. I, I think there's some very compelling evidence for the use of ritual psychedelics in antiquity. I mean, I I spent all these years really trying to tease out the hard scientific data for the use of that kind of sacrament. And what I think that we have at the moment are some very compelling clues. And what I think we need to do is put some funding and attention into more research like this. And I have a feeling that more organic scientific evidence is bound to emerge from these chalices of the ancient Mediterranean.
1: Let's back up a little bit to the beginning of the story you're telling. And we should say at the top, this is a story about psychedelics and Christianity in early Greece. It is not a full history of the use of psychedelics in human culture. If it was, it'd be going back, you know, thousands more years, probably to the Amazon. And so just so people know, this is the story you're telling. Uh, and it's focus. It's not the
2: entire story. That's right. I, I, I somewhat artificially begin uh, with the agricultural revolution. You know, the first half of my book is very much dedicated to beer, partly because I'm a big fan of beer. And the second half of the book is dedicated to wine, but but really beer and wine as the vehicles or the carriers of these psychedelic sacraments. Uh, so we can trace beer back 12, 13,000 years, which is why I kind of begin the book there. But, you know, there's lots of research pointing to the potential use of ritual psychedelics and, and other drugs, tens of thousands of years, if not potentially hundreds of thousands, and potentially e- even into other species that preceded us. It, it, it's fairly, uh, well-documented in the animal kingdom. So this could have been a millions-years-old story, but we start with the end of the last ice age.
1: Well, tell me about the role of psychedelics in early Greek culture. How was it used? What did it mean?
2: I want to be careful about the use of, of the word psychedelics. You know, when, when you look into the ancient records, you do find pretty compelling resources for this pharmacopeic knowledge and and this, this expertise with the botanical landscape. And I think a lot of it goes... Either unacknowledged or just untranslated in some cases. Like in the case of Galen, the personal physician to Marcus Aurelius, there's just thousands and thousands of pages of, of pharmacy and pharmacology discussing all kinds of things like animal derived toxins. And you need expertise to be able to decipher some of that stuff. And so, you know, the, the, the volume that we have of Galen is like 22 different independent volumes. Of uh, over a 1000 pages each, they haven't been translated to English. Uh, you know, so, so part of this is kind of looking through the record to see what's there and what's not. But, but even when you do take the very first look, what you see are wine, for example, being routinely mixed with all kinds of plants and herbs and toxins, which is why I focus so much on things like beer and wine, because their beer and wine was very different from ours. It was routinely mixed with all these interesting ingredients that we wouldn't do today, necessarily.
1: What was the Temple of Eleusis and what happened there?
2: So I refer to the Temple of Eleusis as the the spiritual capital of the ancient world. It exists from about 1500 BC to the fourth century AD. It calls to the best and brightest of both Athens and Rome for close to 2000 years. And I sometimes say it's kind of like the real religion of the ancient Greeks. I mean, the civilization that produced the democracy and arts and sciences and philosophy and all the rest of it, they had this temple dedicated to a goddess and her daughter, Demeter and Persephone. And they would make this long pilgrimage from Athens, 13 miles northwest up to Eleusis. They would drink this magic potion called the Kukian. And uh, what little testimony survived, because this was all secret, speaks about this epiphanic, beatific vision that these initiates witnessed in this altered state that somehow turned them into immortals. So you went there as a human being And you walked away convinced of your immortality and vouchsafed in some kind of of, of afterlife. And again, we don't know what was going on because this was largely secret. But the the testimony that did survive universally speaks of a vision. And so it raises the question, what kind of vision was this? Was this some spectacle, some theatrical performance? Or was there something in that magic potion, the kukion, that, that produced this vision? Or some combination of all of the above? And so in 1978, uh, this, this relatively controversial theory claimed that this magic potion was some kind of primitive beer that was spiked with ergot. And ergot is the natural fungus from which Albert Hoffman himself was able to synthesize LSD all the way back in the 1930s. And so it's a very elegant idea because this ergot, you know, grows on the grains. And if our relationship with the grains, you know, barley, wheat, rye, if it it goes all the way back 12, 13,000 years, like I was mentioning, it stands to reason that it's at least possible that some of that, you know, again, naturally infected grain could have made its way into a very intentional potion to create these visions. But, uh, you know, there was no hard scientific data to really prove that one way or the other for decades and decades.
1: What you're describing now and what you describe with the book is, you know, it's this kind of religion of the elite, right? And so these these statesmen and these philosopher types would usher off to this, this mysterious temple in, in the dark of night and, and participate in this kind of Ceremony or a ritual? Do we know much about that ritual and that ceremony? What it looked like? Was this a very individual thing? Was it a, a group thing? Do we even know?
2: From what we can reconstruct, and again, we don't know the you know sequence by sequence turn of events, but we know there was some kind of pilgrimage. We know there was the ritual consumption. Of this beverage, uh, we know that the rites continue over over many days and nights, and we know it all culminates in this vision, which uh, the professor at Boston University, Carl Ruck, talks about the culminating experience of a lifetime. I mean, you you went to Eleusis to learn how to conquer death and and nothing less. This was like the height of philosophy for them. So even though we can't reconstruct all the details we do know that it was a communal event uh, so Demeter's temple for example could have accommodated up to about 3000 initiates at any one time but again we don't really know what was happening in there aside from this spectacular vision and you know to to gain entrance to that was considered you know a really worthwhile affair it, it called to people from all over the greek speaking world in fact the the only uh, criteria for entry were the ability to speak some Greek and the fact that you hadn't committed murder. So if you could check off those two boxes, technically, you were invited into this temple, but but I mean, you're quite right. It was kind of reserved for those who had the time and the expense to really go through this process, which could have been a couple years. I mean, at least 18 months preparing for this once-in-a-lifetime event. So it's a, it was something very, very special.
0: We want to know what you think of Vox Conversations. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with ideas of future guests or even future hosts or just things you think you'd like to hear on the show. If you want to get in touch, send us an email, voxconversations at vox.com, or if you want to rate and review the show wherever you listen, go ahead and do that. That always helps. Thanks for listening.
1: More soon.